Section 1 of Starship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. Starship by Paul William Anderson. Section 1. The strangest space castaways of all, the Terrans, left their great interstellar ship unmanned in a tight orbit around Kazakh descended all of them in a lifeboat to investigate that weird iron age world and the lifeboat cracked up with sunset there was rain when dougal anson brought his boat into krakenau harbor there was only a vast wet darkness around him he swore in a sulphurous mixture of krakenaui Volgazani and half a dozen other languages, including some spaceman's terrestrial, and let down the sail. The canvas was heavy and awkward in the drenching rain. It was all he could do to lash it around the boom. Then he picked up the long wooden sweep and began sculling his boat in toward the dock. Lightning flared bluely through the rain, and he saw the great bay in one livid flash filled with galleys at anchor and the little schooners of the fishing fleet. Beyond the wharfs, the land climbed steeply toward the sky, and he saw the dark mass of the town reaching up to the citadel on the hilltop. Dark, dark, hardly a light showed in the gloom. What in the name of Shantuzik was up? The waterfront, at least, should have been alive with torches and music and body merriment and the newly installed street lights should have been twinkling along the main avenues leading up to the castle. Instead, Krakenau lay crouched in night, and he scowled, and drove the light vessel shoreward with rhythmic sweeps of the long oar. Uneasiness prickled along his spine. It wasn't right. He'd only been gone a few days. What had happened in the meantime? When he reached the pier, he made fast with quietness unusual to him. Maybe he was being overcautious. Maybe it was only that the king had died or some other reason for restrained conduct had arisen. But a man didn't spend years warring among the pirates of the outer islands and the neighboring kingdoms around Krakenau without learning to be careful. He ducked under the awning and the bows, which was the boat's only shelter and got a towel from the sea chest and rubbed his rain-wet body dry. He'd only been wearing a tattered pair of breeches, and the water ran along his ribs and down his flanks. Then he shrugged on a tunic and a coat of ring mail over that, a flat-bladed sword at his side and a helmet over his long yellow hair completed his outfit. He felt secure now and jumped up to the pier. For a moment he stood and thought, the steady rain washed down over his leather cape, blurring vision a few meters away, and only the intermittent flicker of lightning broke the darkness. Where to go? His father's house was the logical place, perhaps, but the Macefield dwelling was a little closer to here, and Alan, he grinned, and set out at a long stride. Macefield's be it. The street onto which he turned opened before him like a tunnel of night. The high, steep-roofed houses lay dark on either side, walling it in. 
and the floral globes were unlit. When the lightning blinked, the wet cobblestones gleamed. Otherwise, there was only darkness and rain. He passed one of the twisting alleys and glanced at it with automatic caution. The next instant, he had thrown himself to the ground, and the javelin whipped through the place where his belly had been. He rolled over and bounded to his feet, crouched low, the sword whining out of its scabbard into his hand. Four Kazaki sprang from the alley and darted at him. Dougal Anson grunted, backed up against a wall. The natives were armed and mailed. They were warriors, and they had all the unhuman swiftness of their species. Four of them. The leading attacker met a sword and a clang of steel. Dougal let him come lunging in, took the cut on his mailed ribs, and swept his own weapon murderously out. Faster than a man could think, the Kazaki had his own blade up to parry the sweeping blow, but he wasn't quite fast enough. He met it at an awkward angle, and the terrestrial's sheer power sent the sword spinning from his hand. The hand went too, a fractional second later, and he screamed and fell back and away. The others were upon Anson. For moments it was parry and slash, three against one, with no time to feel afraid or notice the cuts in his arms and legs. A remote part of his brain told him bleakly, This is all. You're finished. No lone earthling ever stood up long to more than two Kazaki. But he hardly noticed. Suddenly, there were only two in front of him. He darted forth from the wall, his sword crashing down with all the power of his huge body behind it. The warrior tried to skip aside too late. The tremendous blow smashed his own parry down and sang in his skull bones. And the last of the attackers died. He tumbled over beside the second, and each of them had a feathered shaft between his ribs. The bowman came loping through the rain. He paused in typical Kazakh fashion to slit the throat of the wounded being and then came up to where Dougal Anson stood panting. The human strained through the rainy dark. Lightning glimmered in the sky, and he recognized the newcomer. Janizek! And Anson, nodded the Kazaki. His sharp white teeth gleamed in his shadowed face. You seem to have met a warm welcome. Too warm, but thanks. Anson bent over the nearest of the corpses, and only now did the realization penetrate his brain. They all wore black mail of a certain pattern, spiked helmets, red cloaks. Gods of Gorzak, they were all royal guardsmen. He looked up to the dark form of Janizek, and his lean face was suddenly tight. What is this? he asked slowly. I thought maybe bandits or some enemy state had managed to enter the city. That would be hard to do now that we have the guns said Janizek. No, these are within our own walls. If you'll look closely, you'll see they wear a gold-colored brassard. Prince Volokhetch, but he... There's more to this than Volokhetch, and more than a question of the throne, said Janizek. Then suddenly, urgently, but we can't stay here to talk. They're patrolling the streets. It's dangerous to be abroad. Let's go to shelter. What's happened? Hansen got up, 
towering over the native by a good quarter meter, his voice suddenly rough. What happened? How is everyone? Not well. Come on now. Ellen? Macefield Ellen? I don't know. Nobody knows. Now come on. They slipped into the alley. Anson was blind in the gloom, and Janizik's slim, six-fingered hand took his to guide him. The Kazaki were smaller than terrestrials and lacked the sheer strength and endurance which Earth's higher gravity gave. But they could move like the wind. They had an utter grace and balance, beside which humans were clumsy cattle, and they saw in the dark. Dougal Anson's mind weird in desperate speculation. If Volokhetch had gotten enough guardsmen and soldiers on his side to swing a palace revolution, it was bad. But matters looked worse than that. Why should Volokhetch's men have assaulted a human? Why should Janizik have to sneak him into a hiding place? How had the revolutionists gotten control in the first place against King Alligan's new weapons. What powers did they have now? What had become of the human community in Krakenau? What of his father, his brothers and sisters, his friends? What of Macefield Ellen? What of Ellen? He grew aware that Janizek had halted. They were in an evil-smelling, refuse-littered courtyard, surrounded by tumble-down structures, dark and silent as the rest of the city. Anson realized that all Krakenau was blacked out. In such times of danger, the old Kazaki clandom reasserted itself. Families barricaded themselves in their dwellings, prepared to fight all comers till the danger was past. The city was awake. Yes, it was crouched in breathless tension all around him. But not a light showed, not a hand stirred, not a voice spoke. They were all waiting. Janizik crouched at the base of one of the old buildings and lifted a trap door. Light gleamed dimly up from a cellar. He dropped lightly down and Anson followed, closing the door behind him. There was only one smoky lamp in the dank gloom. Shadows were thick and huge around the guttering wick. The red flame picked out faces shimmered off cold steel and lost itself in darkness. Anson's eyes scanned the faces. Half a dozen humans, Chang Chong Chen, Dufrir Marie, Gonzales Alonzo, and his wife Nora, who was Anson's sister. Dougal Joan, Macefield Philip, no sign of Ellen. Anse, Anse, the voices almost sobbed out of the dim-lit hollowness. Joan and Nora sprang forward, as if to touch their brother, make sure he was alive and no vision of the night. But Janicek waved them back with his sword. No noise, hissed the Kazaki's fierce whisper. No noise. By all the thirteen hells, Volokhetch's burats are all over the city. If a patrol finds us... Ellen! Anson's blue eyes searched for Macefield Philip crouched near the lamp. Where's your sister, Phil? I don't know, whispered the boy. We're all who seem to have escaped. They may have caught her. I don't know. Father, Joan's voice caught with a dry sob. Ansa, father and Jamie are dead. The rebels killed them. 
For a moment, Hansen couldn't grasp the reality of that. It just wasn't possible that his big laughing father and young Jamie the Brat should be killed. No, but he looked up and then looked away. When he turned back to face them, his visage had gone hard and expressionless, and only the white-knuckled grip on a sword showed he was not a stranger. All right, he said slowly, very slowly and steadily. All right, give me the story. What is it? What happened in Krakenau? End of section one. Recording by Paul Harvey.